Talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, my main man, Nick Wilson, sitting over here to my right. Cody Watson's back in studio with us. Man, 5-0 has come upon us. We got the 50th episode dropping tonight. It's going to be a great time. And this distinguished guest that we're going to introduce here shortly, woo, it's going to be a fun one. Y'all stay tuned and kick it with us. Nicholas Wilson, November, we started this journey together. Cody came over and kicked it with us all along the way. And would you have thought at this point in our uh, distinguished careers that we could call it now, we'd be at 50 episodes, seven short months. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe looking back at the people we've been able to talk to. And uh, we've been blessed and fortunate enough as we've made this journey to get to talk to some amazing people. And well, tonight's no different than any any other. I guess it's it's been fun as we go. I'm excited. What are you worked up? About? <laughs> I'm pumped up like a basketball. I am. So, without further ado, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this thing kicked right off. And um, you know, let me set the tone for the uh, for the guy that we got coming on with us tonight, and uh, try to give you a better understanding of who he is from what we've read and what we've learned by watching him over the years. Um, he was born and raised in Spearfish, South Dakota, and he's a son to a Purple Heart recipient, a Vietnam veteran that we thank very much for his service. And our guest tonight is no stranger to paying his dues and coming up through the ranks of the hunting industry by hunting and humbly working as a successful guide at famed 7J Outfitters. Husband, pretty talented harmonica player from what I hear, and a public figure who is not afraid to get his hands dirty despite what keyboard warriors may believe. It is indeed an honor and a privilege tonight from all of us at Talk About It Outdoors to welcome to the show the wheel, Bone Collector's own, Nick Munt. <laughs> well, thanks, man. That was quite an introduction. I Actually, the theme band that you had playing there before we, before you started talking, that we had South <laughs> band you got there. We had Sean Lundy on, and, and uh, Nick said on that show, it, he thought we were uh, Sean Michaels and uh, Triple H walking out on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so well, thank Nick, you man no, that's great i appreciate it yeah very much awesome. and we appreciate you taking the time to come on with us you know we've watched you for years um all of us have on bone collector and and your your storied past with them is is you know irrefutable one of the best in the business you guys have got to be the busiest guys in the game right now you've got to be you know going 365 and for you to take your time out you know at any point and come on with us we definitely appreciate it well you know, like I said, man, I'm just happy to do it, and thanks for noticing, and, and um, you know, I don't really, I don't know what to say, man, that's, that's just really nice of you to say about us, and, you know, we're just like any, any other guys, um, maybe we, maybe we stepped into the path at the right time, I'm not sure, but, you know, we've been real lucky, and it's just, uh, Nice to be noticed, I guess, so thank you, that means a lot to me. Well, put yourself it. in a position to be, to be lucky is is the key thing is we as hunters all all are you know fortunate enough to do we get out we hunt you know we put our work in but getting there and there's no doubt that you put in your work getting to the points you did but first and foremost you know you're from out you know out west what was your first impression when you got to hanging out with these georgia boys i mean you're with michael and and t-bone what was that like for you they they talked pretty goofy that was probably (laughs) the first thing i noticed they talked a lot different than I did, that's for sure. Oh, and you... but um, 
you know, the whole, just kind of the whole culture is different, you know, from just the way we grew up. You know, I think, I think a lot of things are the same, you know, the way like Waddell and I, you know, the, the way we played sports in high school and um, just both love to hunt and, and have always just kind of been, you know, whatever it took to be in the outdoors, whether it was, you know, chasing frogs or shooting birds with a BB gun or whatever, you know, we, we both love the outdoors. And so ever since the first day I met Waddell uh, back in about, I don't know, it was probably 97, somewhere in there. The first the first day we met, you know, we just were buddies right off the bat and um, just had a kindred spirit. And same with T-Bone, you know, we we um, met and, uh, through Realtree, of course, and uh, just right away, you know, hit it off with the guy. He's fun, fun loving. And we're all kind of the same, you know, of the same mold. Uh, we're all kind of positive people. We like to have a good time and, um you know, there's no reason to be negative. So we're always, you know, we're always pretty up tempo, which is fun. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's, that's kind of stuck with people. You guys do keep a positive, upbeat vibe about you. And I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a, a show or you guys being out at one of the trade shows or, or in the public aisle where you've seen anything to do with any one of you guys being negative towards a fan or, or towards somebody that you were trying to help in the industry or, or do something for the people. And, you continually give back, and I love when you guys go out and do the the hunt with the Navajo Nation. Um, you, you guys take all that stuff and give to those kids, and that's that's an that's an upstanding thing for anyone to do. But more so when you when you come from people that are fans like we are, you see you want to, and it inspires us to want to do stuff like that. Get kids out, and you know earlier this year we did a fundraiser with a group of guys that take paraplegic and quadriplegic hunters turkey hunting, and. We did that, and it humbly gave us respect for what we're fortunate enough to be able to do. And you guys doing that with the Navajo Nation is just, I mean, it's its great to see, and we appreciate seeing stuff like that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, we, um, that's a, that's a resource to us, you know, that's, um, it's a valuable, it's a valuable place to go because, you know, those kids don't, uh, the kids that go on that youth hunt, they don't have a lot of people that are really, you know, mentoring them and showing them the ways of, of the woods and how to shoot a deer, how to take care of it, how to skin it, you know, how to put the meat in your freezer and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, to get to go out there and basically enlighten those kids on it um, is really cool. And, and so a huge part of that is their mentors. So they go through a whole course. They do um, shooting days. They do field training. They do um, the full hunter safety deal. And then, you know, they're mentored by a person the whole time. And then that mentor is on the hunt with them. And so the mentors do a lot of the work before we get there. You know, they're really right. hands-on. And so we go and we, we basically provide um, tents and sleeping bags, binoculars, camouflage, boots, uh, some bone collector sportswear hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts. Um, and in turn, you know, for us doing that, the, the Navajo Nation gives us a couple deer and a couple elk heads. So, um it's just a really great program. It's really fun to go out there and help those kids get, get their first year. And the great, the greatest part for me about it is, um, is most of these people are, you know, lower income type people. And so to be able to send them home with a whole freezer full of deer meat, you know, that's really cool. You know, you just get to, you get to help out. And then hopefully, and, and over the course of the years that I've personally done the youth hunt, I really felt like, that I've spent time with will continue hunting. They just loved it so much and they had such a great experience that 
you know, they're going to continue to do it. So um, it's not an easy thing to get into if you're from a, from a home that doesn't hunt. And that's one of the criteria, you know? Right. And so uh, it's an intimidating deal if you've never hunted or, you know, even if you're, even if you're a gun hunter in our, you know, like in our situation, if you're a gun hunter and you've never bow hunted before, it's intimidating to pick up a bow and get into it if you don't know anything about it or just walk into a, basically walk into a bow shop and say, Hey, I don't know squat about bow hunting. I need some help, but I want to get into it. You know, it's intimidating. Not a lot so, of shops just, that'll take the time to do that with you anymore. Yeah. Either. Just so, so it's good, you know, to, to help those kids and give them the confidence that they need to take the next step and, uh, you know, do it on their own. So it's, that's a, that's a really a good event. We love it. We enjoy watching that. So Nick, you got something there? Yeah. Yeah. Nick, let's take it all the way back to the beginning for you, man. Like what, where did you start and who got you into hunting in the outdoors? Well, my, um, my grandfather, um, my mom's dad, my grandpa, Dick, Dick Miller was his name. He had a little farm up by a little town called Selby, South Dakota. And, uh, they have a couple hundred acres out there and there's a Creek that runs through it, Hiddenwood Creek. And so when I was a kid, you know, when I was really little, you know, like two, three, four, uh, five years old, kind of the family would go out there. They didn't live on the place. They did when my grandpa was a kid. Um, and there was an old house and a barn kind of down in there. Um, but we'd go down and we'd shoot gophers and rabbits and turtles and stuff. And so when I got a little bit older, I would just beg my grandpa to take me down there. So we would have to, and I've told this story on several podcasts, but we'd, every day we'd have to listen to, and I don't know if you guys, are you guys familiar with Paul Harvey himself? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Paul Harvey. So, you know, I'd beg my grandpa to take me down there. And so we'd eat lunch and then at one o'clock, Paul Harvey would come on. So he wouldn't leave until he listened to Paul Harvey every day. And so, you know, from the time I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon, we finally got to go to the farm. It was like the longest day in the world, you know? <laughs> so we go down there and my grandpa would park his pickup and uh, he'd read a book and I'd just get, get his 22 and I'd walk the creek and, uh, Literally, I would shoot everything that went, that ran, swam, or flew from me. Birds, frogs, turtles, gophers, rabbits. I mean, everything. And, um, I just really kind of learned the instincts to, to stalk animals and be a hunter just doing that. And so there was a couple of big holes in the creek where there was, you know, eight or 10 turtles sitting on a log. But if you kind of went walking up there fast, they saw you and they plopped in the water and they'd right. stay gone for 15 minutes and, I'd kind of lose patience and head up the creek, you know. So finally I learned to kind of belly crawl to the edge and peek over. And then, you know, I'd pluck a few off the limb before they hit the water. And so that's kind of how I got my love for hunting. Just started on a small game. Uh, we, we hunted pheasants and ducks as I got a little bit older over there. And then uh, I was lucky enough to do some deer hunting. Uh, in those days, you know, we'd get eight, ten guys together and we'd drive it. You know, it's open country, farm country. So we'd drive a cornfield or or drive a back and now nowadays it's the CRP program, but it used to be the soil bank program. And so there was just these fields that were left standing fallow. And so they, they would be eight, 10 foot tall grass in them. And so we'd just like you'd do for pheasants, we'd do a drive, put a couple guys at the end and push the deer out of it. And we were lucky enough to shoot a few deer on those trips. You know, we never shot any big deer. Um, but man, from the first, the first time, um, we jumped a deer out of this brush and it jumped up right in front of me and took off. And man, I got a great look at it because it jumped up so close. But, you know, everybody's yelling, buck, buck, buck. And it runs out and my uncle shot it. So I'll never forget. I we were walking over to it and I asked my dad, I said, dad, how big do you think that buck was? 
He said, it looked like a really good one to me. And I said, it was a spike. And he goes, are you sure? It looked pretty big. I said, no, I'm pretty sure it was a spike. We got over there, it was a spike. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just those memories of being young and, and uh, getting in the field with my dad and my uncles. And, um, so your grandpa, that yet, your, grandpa was really, your grandpa was really the first one that got you in into the outdoors. Yeah, my dad, my dad and my grandpa for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Kind of resonates with a lot of guests we get on. We, we hear that a lot. People say, you know, grandpa and everything. And you got guys that come on that don't. And, you know, I think that attributes back to kind of people being able to see people in the public eye or, or listen to a podcast that's educational to them, kind of grabs their attention. Like, hey, that's something I might want to do. So, you know, I guess it's our kind yeah. of due diligence and duty to, to deliver it that way so they understand. Well, and I think, too, I think one of the greatest – greatest things you can give back on any level is just taking somebody that's never hunted before, you know, um, whether it's a kid in your neighborhood or, um, you know, maybe there's a gal that lives down the street that's a single mom, has a little boy or a little girl that, you know, is interested and, you know, mom doesn't know what to do. She's, she's clueless basically. So yep. just to swoop that kid up and take him and put him in a deer stand or let him come turkey him, even if he doesn't shoot, you know, just to take him along and let him see what's going on, boy or girl. Those are some of the things that, uh, you know, really recruit people to hunting. And, and it's what we need to do. You know, a lot of people would like to see less people in the woods, you know, too much competition, stuff like that. But a Bone Collector, we really pride ourselves in selling as many hunting licenses as possible because that's where it's at. I mean, once it's gone, it, it, it's not coming back. That's you right. Know, let's put it that way. You know, once, once they take our guns, once they take our hunting rights, once they don't let us hunt anymore, it's never coming back. So um, I think a lot of what you might call, you know, hunting personalities, they kind of lose sight of that. And so that's something that Michael has always drilled into our heads. And that's something that we've always done is just, you know, we want to include as many people as possible and, and get as many people in on it. So when you um, starts at a young age, man, it does. And, and we've been fortunate enough to all, you know, be around kids and young kids and take them hunting and stuff like that. And we continue to enjoy to do it. But I want to know, you know, when your first trip out of the, the the western states, getting into the Midwest, you know, you you've obviously had great success in Iowa. That's my favorite hunt of yours of, of all time. When you went back late season and grunted that buck into like sixteen yards and drilled him, and what was it yep. like to you in the you know was it a surreal experience for you? I mean, getting to that state actually and getting into that Midwest area and getting to hunt. Yeah, you know, where I grew up in the Black Hills in South Dakota, um, it's it's pine country. So really the the best feed in the area is alfalfa. And so, you know, early season, the bucks are all bunched up. They're coming to the alfalfa to feed. But those deer, they have small bodies. Um, you know, like 140-inch 140 140 inch deer looks really big. You know, it looks, right. looks like a 170 in the Midwest. And so... Um, you know, when I first started working with, with Realtree, I was traveling with Bill ex- exclusively. And so he would, he and I would jump on his jet and we'd go to Montana and Illinois and Texas and Kansas. And, um, I'll just never forget, you know, kind of one of those first trips we went to Illinois and the deer were just monstrous. I mean, huge bodies like the does walking underneath of us are, you know, 40 pounds heavier than our bucks back home. Right. You know, they're 200 pound deer and our, our deer back home are real small. So just to get to new, a new place and see the size of those deer and then, I'll never forget one time, one of the first times I went with Bill, we went to um, uh, Illinois, and um, we saw a buck. He was a mainframe 4 by 4 with some stickers. But I, I would say that his um, 
his G2s were probably close to 16 inches long. It was just a monster. Old, huge body, big black skull cap, you know, just an old, old buck. And, man, I just thought to myself, what a monster, you know. And uh, just to get to a new spot, you know, then I really started hunting a lot in the Midwest and I started working with the tree and I started to see what it was. And then when I would come home, I would look at these little tiny deer and just be like, holy crap, these things are small. You know, I never really realized it before, you know. <laughs> Kind of what we feel so, like coming back to Georgia when we go to the Midwest. big eye opener. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, like where Michael lives, the deer are pretty big bodied down there. You know, he's got some big bodied deer. Him and T Bone um, both. And they're, they're, yeah. T Bone hammered some studs <laughs> last year. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the yeah. differentiator for us. We're in northern Georgia. So you, okay. you get down to the southern states. I mean, a, a big deer here, you, you see, Deer around Atlanta. I mean, there's been deer in the last few years killed in Atlanta that'll that'll dwarf deer in the Midwest. I mean, there's some giants. Yeah. But up here around home in the mountains, I mean, we're chasing deer that are surviving on acorns and briars, and that's the the to survival for them. And so it's curious. It's always a curiosity to me to talk to someone that's went from where they lived, like you said, to getting to the Midwest, just like we did. We're in North Georgia, and we go to the Midwest, and it's a whole different demographic for what you're hunting and what you're you know, experiencing. And I don't think people really can grasp that and understand exactly how much it means to get to go out of state. Yeah, and when I was a kid, you know, in the Black Hills, um, for years and years, it was tag over the counter. If somebody came from Minnesota or Wisconsin or New York and they were coming to Wyoming to hunt, hell, they could drive through the Black Hills, stop at the convenience store, get a, get a tag, go drive around up in the public land and shoot a buck, you know. So you just never saw anything that was even decent. You know, you're looking at year and a half and two and a half year old bucks that were, yeah, I mean, you know, not even, not even, you know, big enough to score, you know, like right. 40, 50 inch bucks, you know, seriously. And so um, as I started getting a little older, people started getting together and we signed some petitions and we got some, some new legislation and it changed our, it changed our, um, you had to, you had to have a kill a buck now that has two points on a cider better, which isn't a big deal, but the way people hunt there and the, and, and how thick the country is, you know, you're hunting big pine forests, you don't get to see them long. So you had to take that extra couple seconds to make sure. And then they got away. And so literally within two or three years, Myself, my dad, all my buddies, we were all starting to kill, you know, mid to high 130s to mid 150s bucks. And so it just made a huge difference. Right. So what they did was they, they took away the over-the-counter tags. They made it a drawing. Um, and then they made it a two-pointer better on one side for many years. And so it really helped. And so now if you go and hunt the public land out there, there's a good chance you're going to see a nice thing. Um, where when I was a kid, man, it was slim pickings and so nobody really you know it wasn't a trophy hunting spot i mean you just filled your tag you shot a buck or you shot a doe you know or whatever actually back then you couldn't even shoot those it was buck only so um so yeah to get to to get to go to some new turf and see some real you know big deer and and then really start learning how to target big deer and hunt big deer i mean for me that was just uh you know i got to i got to learn from some guys that um spent a lot of time on the road and um i just really soaked it all in and and it made me you know a better hunter so that was fun well you've chased whitetails you've chased mule deer the moose hunt you go on up there with those gentlemen the older gentlemen where y'all fly in 
What yeah, kind the of, geezers. Yep, the old geezers. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of experience is that? I mean, those guys just seem like the most fun in the world to be around. Oh, geez, just awesome guys. Um, the two, the two guys, George um, and Vern, are both originally from Minnesota, where I live. They're both from not too far from here. Uh, moved to Alaska when they were young men, so they've been up there for you know thirty, forty years. Um, and then uh, Mike who um, is the younger guy of the group. He's a friend of mine. And we actually, he's from Brookings, South Dakota. So he's a South Dakota boy too. But uh, just an awesome group of guys. And, and, you know, they've been going up there so long that they have it all figured out. They've got all the whole camp, tent. They, you know, they get the food ready. Um, they fly in firewood, you know, because that country doesn't have a lot of wood in it. Yeah. So, um, so they fly in firewood and we have a, we have a 16 foot teepee that we that we live out of and it's got a fire it's got a stove in the middle of it so when it's cold we can go and warm up in there and and then everybody sleeps in their own little tiny tent outside but the hunting up there is just uh it's phenomenal it's you know you're a hundred and some miles from the closest road um no cell phone right no and no you, you got a satellite phone and then we have a little radio that if an airplane's flying over you can you can reach an airplane if it flies over but uh, totally primitive, you know, totally what you would call do it yourself. I mean, I've never had anybody shoot a deer for me. So right, I, right. I call all of it, do it yourself, but, um, just an amazing hunt. And the cool part is we sit on top of this mountain and you can see, you know, to the North, you can see about seven miles, uh, to the East and Southeast, you can see probably 25 miles to the South. You can see about five or six miles to the next mountain. Um, but you glass and you just see, you just see bulls and, and cows all, out all over. And then you start calling to them and literally a bull that's five, six, 10, 15 miles away can hear you call. Oh my, that's it's amazing. amazing. That's They'll be sitting there feeding and you just, you know, you just rip on that call and then you just see those horns turn and they look at you and literally some of them just start walking your way. Some of them make it and some of them, you know, run into a cow three quarters of the way across and then they get held up there for a while but i've literally called bulls in from oh geez i'm not kidding at least 15 miles away like you can mm -hmm. barely see them in the spotting scope and you can you can you can tell they got their big white paddles up top and they start coming and um the first year i went down below the ridge that we hunt there's a there was a big kind of a jack pine patch down this swamp and there was one cow in there, and every bull that I called in would end up in that swamp chasing that bull around. So at times there were three, four, five bulls in there chasing her around. Wow. And she would just give them a slip. But it's just an amazing place. There's a lot of moose, lots of grizzly bears, lots of wolves, caribou. I mean, it's like heaven, man. It's just, it's just you know, no place like it. And th the only bad part about it is when you get a bull down. Yeah, I, I mean, saw you, you shoot that one. Those those guys, you shot that one with the bow, and it took—I mean, it took off down the hill. And you're like, "Oh God, it went to the worst <laughs> yeah. possible place." Yeah, and they say, "Yeah, we don't shoot them down in here." So there was a little, there was like a little hog's back swale that we call the calling spot, and it's at the top of the ridge. And about a hundred yards above that is where the airplanes land. So we try to call them up through that swale and up to the top, and then. We shoot them there, and then we only have a couple-yard hike to get them to the top. Right. 
But the one that the one that I shot last time I was up there, it was a good mile down the hole. A moose. Oh, <laughs> Eight, uh, that one. That one actually was twenty-one pack loads, including the head and the cape. Um, I'd say each pack loads fifty to sixty pounds, and then of course the horns are seventy-five pounds, and the capes one hundred and twenty-five probably. Good lord! <laughs> it's a booger. It's a booger. Oh, what, was... what are you doing about the what are you doing about the grizzly bears at nighttime? You, you know, they just really, they're, they're really spooky. Okay. They're spooky okay. people. So it's not like some areas where they're raiding your tent. Um, when they smell man, they get out. They've been hunted enough. Um, they've been hunted enough that they, that they pretty much know what man is. So when they smell you, they're gone. Gotcha. We really don't have to worry about it. Which is a good thing. We keep our food out away from the tent. So we don't keep the food in the tent. We, we still, we still take the precautions. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those deals where, you know, just from the experience in the past, they don't mess with us too much. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah. What you got, Cody? But it's quite a place, man. Quite a place. I mean, just unreal, unreal. Uh, Nick, going back to uh, South Dakota, man. Man, when we was out there, we went out there a couple months ago, turkey hunting. Man, there, there's a bunch of deer in the Black Hills, and I was telling Alex and Cody this when I got back. I believe the first afternoon we were there, you know, I felt like I was in the Midwest. I bet we seen a hundred deer right at dark, just in everybody's front yards and everywhere. Now you was talking about the deer, the bucks used to be real, the the buck numbers were down. Was the deer numbers always that high in the Black Hills? Yeah. Yeah. There's always been a lot of deer. Um, You know, when I was a kid, the the hay fields and and alfalfa fields at the base of the hills, because, you know, once you get up inside the timber, it's pretty thick up in there. And, and the, you know, the good stuff doesn't really grow because it's all needle caps on the gr- on the forest floor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get a ton of growth. And so the deer just flock out of the trees down into the alfalfa and then e- even down into the grass, you know, they're cutting for hay. And, you know, it'd be nothing to see 100, 150 deer in a field. Um a little later on in the season when, when that alfalfa is the only green thing in the country, I mean, it loads up. And so we've always had high numbers of deer, lots of deer. Um, but it wasn't until they changed the point restriction and, and then made it a draw instead of over the counter that we really were able to get some age on the deer. And it's made a, it's made a big difference, but super fun place to hunt because you see a lot of deer, you know? Yeah. I heard it was, um, I heard it's very hard for a non-resident to get a tag. Yeah, it is now. Yeah, it takes it takes a couple of years now to get a tag, but they do have a preference point system. And, you know, if somebody's looking to hunt public land, there's there's a million acres of public land in the Black Hills National Forest. Nick walked it's 500 of it trying to find turkeys. <laughs> Man, we, we we were only there for uh, three and a half days, and and uh, it was it was very overwhelming, I'll say the least, because that was my first time there. And and we we flew into Rapid City, took off driving, and we we headed south because everybody told us there were more turkeys going south, so. We took off and end up. We actually got a hotel room in Rapid City, but we end up hunting all the way down in uh, Pringle. So, oh yeah, yep. we, we were hunting. We were driving an hour and a half basically, and it was it was tough. It was tough because we just didn't know where to go. But we got on a few birds, but we never was successful. So everybody, yeah. said, everybody we talked that to, can said be the, tough. Everybody we talked to said the bird numbers were down out there pretty bad. Yeah, I think so. I think they're down a little bit. You know, um, you know something I had. I a always, qu- I always, 
Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, you know, I had a question about this, and, and I'm sure, you know, they, they there's plenty of deer around there. There's turkeys around there. But, man, just like Georgia, there's a lot of water here in Georgia, but there's not that much water in South Dakota. Do, do those, most of those people just dig water holes, or well, what do they do to? Yeah. Yeah, you know, on places on places where there's a spring or, or something like that, you know, they develop the springs and put tanks and stuff in like like real like steel metal tanks some people dig um like a pit you know in in new mexico and arizona they call that a tank um so they do like like dugouts you know um and that i would say that's mostly how they catch water is those dugouts um but a lot of the a lot of the country there um most of the bottom of the canyons and most of the of the bottom of the valleys almost all of them have some kind of a creek in so that's kind of where the animals like to water, and um, if you got a if you got a place with good water, you're going to have animals. Gotcha. Know? So do they that's ha- pretty key. But yep. Do they, do they have a problem with EHD out there at all? You know, from time to time, it's not as prevalent there as it is in other places, just because it is so dry. Yeah. Um, on years where you get a lot of spring rain, and then you get puddles and, and little swamps that fill up, that's when you get EHD uh, because those midges. Those midges, from what I understand, they um, nest and breed in that sand that's on the edge of those water holes that have receded, and that's their perfect habitat. So when we get high rains and a lot of water, um, and then the water recedes, that's kind of when EHD is out there. But that place is not known for having a lot of rain. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I would say that the Black Hills, especially in the northern Black Hills where I'm from, I would say that most of our spring moisture comes in the form of snow in april and may big snowstorms and that's kind of how we get our moisture and so um it's not a wet place you don't get a lot of rain july and june july and august are, are pretty dang dry so you kind of count on those you know you hate to see them come because they're usually you know 12 18 20 inch snowstorms in the spring during turkey season almost every year but that's really how we get our water so they're pretty key nick tell me about the uh, the mink brothers <laughs> Or the Mike brothers, <laughs> <laughs> the Meek brothers, yeah. So there was a a, a a group of three old boys that lived out west of, of my hometown of Spearfish, and they owned a, a little creek bottom um, at the base of the mountain, um, and it had cottonwoods and and ash trees and grass, and uh, and then they had alfalfa around the bottom of that creek bottom. And so my dad, my dad knew these guys when he was back in college, and he hunted there, and so. They always had a sign on the driveway that said, no hunting, so don't ask. <laughs> and so I really believe it kept people out of there. And so my dad, he just, you know, when I was a kid, he just drove up and I was like, dad, you know, the sign says no hunting, so don't ask. So he said, well, I used to hunt, on here. I used to hunt here in college. These guys kind of know me, so we'll, we'll see what they say. So we pull in and we go in and have coffee with them and BS. And I just remember the one guy, kind of the main, the main brother, his name was Basil. And, uh, he's a really <laughs> nice old guy. Yep. And, uh, you know, they always let us hunt. And so we always had good luck out there and we shot bucks. And, uh, my brother Zach shot his first buck out there and it was, a, it was a five by five, a 10 pointer. And, um, I shot, you know, four or five bucks over the years when I was a kid there. And it was just a, it was just a really neat place because the deer were really concentrated. You know, they had about the only alfalfa in the country. And so that Creek bottom, in fact, uh, the year my little brother shot his first deer, he was 12. And he's uh, three years younger than me. That year, 
uh, we went out in the morning, and my dad and I, we sat in an old car, and we counted 66 bucks on that field. Good God. 66 bucks. No kidding. And um, then in the evening, we got my little brother and went back, and they sat in the car. I went to a different spot, and my brother, my little brother shot a 10-point, 5 by 5 And it was probably like a 2-year-old. You know, it was probably like a 120-inch buck, 115-inch buck, you know. And uh, we just had a good time there. We always got into deer, and, and it was a nice little play place for us. But then those guys passed away, and it was sold to one of the neighbors. So, you know, don't don't get to hunt there anymore. But I've just good you, memories, you know, great great times, you know, with, with family. And Yeah, I've heard um, you talk about them on some other shows and stuff, and you always, you're always smiling when you're talking about those guys. They say, yeah, like, say yeah, that was just great to be around. And it was great because a lot of people, you know, they had to go up in the hills and hunt in the timber, and it's tough hunting. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't sit on one side of a canyon and glass the other side because it's too thick. So you just have to still hunt through the woods. And when you see a deer, you know, it's just a flag running through the woods. And, you know, if you would see horns, you'd shoot. And if you got him, you did. If you didn't, you kept trucking. And that's just how people hunted out there. So we had a, a legit spot where we could go and sit. And the deer would come out to the field in the morning. We'd get down in the creek bottom and they'd be coming back in the morning. So, you know, we just had a we had uh, the opportunity to actually hunt them like we do now, you know, sit and wait on them. We didn't stir them up too much and try try not to run them off, you know? Um, And so I learned, I learned a lot about deer hunting in that little bottom that they had there. I got a question for you. That's going, it it may kind of be a a weird question, but I heard you talk about on a podcast or something about field dressing a deer and how you field dress a deer. And do you split the pelvic bone when you, when you gut a deer? Nope, you I do cut not. The, you I cut her, not. My dad cut around that butt. Yep. <laughs> that, yeah. that, when I read that, that was the one thing because it, you were probably the only person outside of the people that I know here locally in Georgia that don't split that pelvic bone. You got it by cutting its butt out. Yeah, and I guess you know my dad just taught me how to do it that way, and and I guess we didn't ever split the pelvic bone because we never we never had a saw. Yep, and you know you just didn't want to puncture the, the bladder and get it on the meat. So, you know, my dad just, he taught me, I mean, literally when I was four years old, I, he, he taught me how to do it. So, you know, just grab the wiener and start cutting and <laughs> yep. go down, you know, that was, that take was... off his satchel and keep going down and then carve around the, carve around the hole and get your finger in there and separate everything. And then, you know, when you, when you pull it up through the body cavity, it just pops right out and, that's the way I was taught to bladder. do it. it yeah. That just, I always, I, that when I first heard that, I was like, oh, I'm writing that note down. I got to ask him about that and see if that's true. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny too, over the years, you know, I, I've taught people how to do that. that never had never done it before. Um, but when I was in barber school, um, one of the, <laughs> how did we get the into that, that was, barber school? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> when I was in barber school, one of the guys that um, I was roommates with, he was like 32, 33 at the time, and I was 18. Um, you know, it was too far to go all the way back to spearfish, um, on the weekend. So sometimes I'd go home with some of the guys that lived in North Dakota. That's where I went to barber school in, in Eastern North Dakota and Fargo. And so I would go home with them because it was only a three hour drive to their house and 10 hours to mine. So I went hunting with these guys one time and they shot this deer. And this guy, Kevin, that I went to barber school with, he had these two twin brothers and they were these big old, like six, three freaking big old boys, you know, and they both had these dang, you know, like a spike on the top with a mullet in the back, you know, like, uh, 
Good looking. Marvin good Marvin sound like good old dance. boys. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like yours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With oh. a perm in it. Yeah, that, so, that's, uh, a, that's a permanent perm. That's all natural. <laughs> you need a little soul glow in there. That would be good. <laughs> if so, you're feeling uh, nappy, Afro Sheen will make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, they shot this deer, and so I said, I'll get it. And I liked it, and so. I got down there. I said, you hold this leg, you hold that leg. And, man, they were giving me so much crap. What the hell are you doing, you know, cutting around this and that? And I said, I'll show you. I'll show you. And I pulled it out, pulled everything through, pulled out the full bladder, everything together. And they, I mean, they just couldn't believe that you could do it like that. They always split the pelvis, you know. And that's even a pain in the butt because once you split oh, the pelvis, you got to get it wide. Yeah, you got to get it wide enough to get the stuff out of it. But then you always, you know, a lot of times you end up, puncture in the bladder when you're yep. when you're sawing it open so it's just how i was taught you know and i got it down to a science now man i can get, i can get the guts out of one of them literally about less than a minute probably <laughs> yeah that's that's one thing i learned early on was was gutting them like that you just and i don't know why that always blew people's mind because when i started going out of state and hunting with the guys they're like what are you doing and i'm like this is the way i do it get out of the way let me <laughs> let me do it my way you just just move yeah You've cut yeah, and some, I enjoy it too. You've cut some hair for some pretty well-known people too, haven't you, Nick? <laughs> yeah, I actually have. Yeah, who's a, have, who's a, who's probably. a few? I think I know a few. But. Um, well, I I gave uh, I cut Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s hair one time in camp. I, I heard that. That's all. Um, <laughs> I was with him when I shot when he shot his first buck in his first. Uh, well, his first three animals with a bow. He shot a, a buck, a doe, and a turkey. Was that in Ohio at his, at his farm? That was in Oklahoma, actually. Okay. Um, some friends of ours had a farm and we went hunting down there. Um, you know, I've cut some, I've cut some other, you know, I've cut Bill's hair a bunch, of course, all the, you know, everybody that we hunt with cut all theirs and, um, you know, a few people here and there, some baseball players and just some other people, you know, no, nothing, nothing too great, but <laughs> would you, would you, I enjoy it. I still do it. I yeah. still cut my fr- friends and family and. Yeah, I ever swing, I ever swing through North Georgia. I don't need a haircut, Nick. <laughs> you can clean up the sides, though. I'll let you do that. We'll, we we'll, pay, we'll pay your gas on down to Booger Bottom if you'll cut him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, going through, you know, the years in the hunting industry, Nick, you've you've definitely had a, you know, a career that spanned far and wide. But tell us something that's kind of, I guess, changed in the last few years, in your opinion, for for the good and for the bad, what's what's something that sticks out to you? Hmm. You know that's tough. Um, I try to live in the I try to live in the now and and what's coming up rather than live in the past. So right. I try to. Uh, but um, well, let's say with you know, the social, social media, the social media say. deal is, is huge, and, and not only that, but you know, trophy management and. The ability for people to actually, even though they might not see a lot of deer on the property that they're on or in the area that they live in, people have really learned how to age deer mm-hmm. and see, you know, through through the television shows and everything, they get a chance to look at deer and see deer so you can age them a little bit better. Um, you know, awareness has been spread about, you know, getting trail cameras and setting up a hit list and now, for me personally, I'm all about um, how people want to make hunting, do it on their own. You know, right. if you want to shoot does, great. If you want to shoot young bucks, fine. You know, if you want to trophy, manage for trophy deer, that's great. Everybody's got their own idea of hunting. But when it comes to trophy hunting, 
just just to be able for people to step up to say the next age class. So say you're a guy from Pennsylvania and you got a 75 acre piece of ground that you get to hunt. Um, back in the old days, first buck that came by, boom, he shot it because he knew if he didn't shoot it, there's a guy in a tree stand 200 yards away, he's probably going to shoot it. Well, now, you know, he's probably connected with that neighbor and the, and the neighbors around him. And they've all probably said, Hey, let's just hold off these youngsters. Let's just give them another year build up a, a list of bucks that we want killed and so people are able to look at a deer's body now um just from watching tv and say hey he's only a two-year-old or you know he's mature he's he's three-year-older um and so i think that's been that's been key because even places like pennsylvania new jersey new york um georgia yep. you know where man if you shot a 130 inch eight pointer you know, back when you were growing up, I mean, that was a hell of a deer. Yeah, it was a stand. And that was something. And you put it on the wall, you know what I mean? And so, which which still a lot of people do. Um, but, you know, there's there's still a lot of people around the country that have never shot 135-inch buck. Oh, know? absolutely. They think they have. So, <laughs> but so getting to, getting to see deer has changed the way, you know, people manage and hold out for a little better age class of deer. I think that's been a, that, that's been a positive. Um, as far as negatives, uh, you know, I don't <laughs> oh. really, negatives is, is tough. Cause I still think, you know, I still think the hunting community is great. I think people are passionate about it. And, um, you know, the toughest part is for me is, uh, when the government starts selling off public land and, and privatizing it, that's what I don't, that's what I don't want to see. You know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to see people hunt public land and, um, you know, there's states, there's states that have amazing public, public land hunting, you know, um, Iowa, Kansas, South Dakota, North Dakota, um, even yeah. Illinois, you know, a lot of those places, the locals have farms and stuff that they can hunt. And so, you know, to be able to, to be able to go there and, and find a good piece of public land is a, is a really good possibility. And there's some good deer that live on them. So that's, that's key too, you know. Well, that kind of spins into something that we've listened um, to you announce this year that you were doing the, the Nick Munt and Associates Guide Service where you kind of help people along right. in the country. Right. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's um, it's called Adventure Agency. And so um, I'm really not doing any guiding, but I am I'm, I'm booking people on hunting trips. So I'm using a lot of the outfitters that I've used over the years, plus a, plus a, plus a bunch more um, new ones that I've teamed up with a couple other booking agents to do. And so we have everything basically from prairie dogs to elephants, literally. And so um, if you want to go on a trip somewhere, just give us a call or send me an email and, you know, we'll get your budget, kind of what you think you can spend. And, and we'll get you with a great outfitter on a great trip. You know, most of our trips are, are um, guys that are, are been in the business a long time and they've been vetted and, and we know them personally. And uh, we've sent clients there. And they're highly successful. So, um, you know, whatever it is, if you're looking to kill a grand slam of turkeys, you know, I sent a bunch of guys on, on turkey hunts this year. I had a couple guys that killed a slam in, in one season. Um, but, yeah, we, we pretty much just send guys for whatever they're looking for. You know, if you're looking for Africa, we've got uh, exclusive bow hunting properties. We've got rifle stuff. We've got, you know, stuff all over the country or all over the, the continent, basically. Right. And uh, we can get you lined up with somebody really great. And, um, you know, number one, we help take the intimidation factor out of going somewhere new because we, we send you with somebody that's reputable and you don't have to shop around and 
because everybody's going to everybody's going to tell you that they've got a good outfit, and most guys do. You know, I, I have very few hunts that I've ever run into over the years that I wouldn't send somebody to, to be honest with you. So, um, but yeah, we'll just help you get lined out. We've got an application service, so if you want to start putting in for um, mule deer tags, elk, moose, bighorn sheep, mountain goats, um, tough to draw whitetail states, um, you know, get a hold of us. Our application service is 150 bucks a year. Um, and that'll get you in for unlimited tags. I'm sorry, unlimited species in unlimited states. And so basically what you, you do is you pay $150 fee. It comes with a whole bunch of different perks. You get a dashboard where you can see all your transactions that take place. Um, all your notes are there for the states that you've applied for, all your passwords and usernames, um, how many preference points you have, all that kind of stuff. And so what we do is we get a card. We put a, a credit card on file, and that's where your application fees go. Um, if you're not drawn, your your uh, card is refunded, and it's 150 bucks a year. And then every year at the beginning of the year, we send out an email. Uh, you have to click on to okay it to go to the next year. And it's just a really great service. Yeah. And then uh, we have a couple of, of people uh, in the office there that, you know, will go through your profile with you. They'll kind of narrow down what you want to hunt and what state. And then they'll start putting you in and gaining points. Some of the states, you know, like um, you can buy a preference point. You know, you don't have to put in for the tag. You can just buy a point. So, like, say in 2024, you and four of your buddies want to go to Wyoming. Well, you might not have 15 grand to go on a, on an elk hunt, but you got 7,000 bucks or 5,500. You know, we can put you with a great outfitter that's in a general area, but it's still going to take you three years to draw the tag. So what we do is. Um, we buy your preference points in the summertime, start building your points towards you, towards that hunt. And then when you draw the hunt, you can book the hunt and you know you're going to draw the tag. So um, it's a great program. You know, there's several people that are doing it across the country. And uh, we feel like we feel like we've got it down really, you know, we got it dialed in really well. And um, our our agents and our people in the office are really good at helping people get lined out. So Thank anybody you. that's looking, you know, you can, you can email me, nick at nickmunt.com, and we'll get you lined up for whatever you're looking for. I think it would be good for a wife looking to buy their her husband a, a hunt on a trip. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you, for you, you know, to? It, mine don't it, care. It, it she really ain't gonna is. Buy me. That would be, it, that's something that they're intimidated. They're like, who do I call? And that's a service that they could be provided and be comfortable with. It really is. And I'll just tell you this right now. I just got a message today from a gal. Um, she said that uh, her and her husband are getting married. She said, basically, you know, uh, the wedding date, she's trying to plan a honeymoon and she wants to do something special for him because as everybody knows, the, the wedding is pretty much about the woman. That's right. And so she said, I'd love to uh, plan a dream hunt for him and, and get him out on a, a mule deer or an elk hunt. And could you help me do it? And so I wrote her back. I said, absolutely. We can, we can find him a hunt. We just need to start out with a budget, you know, and let us know what a budget. And if he wants, if he wants rifle or archery, and we can go from there. And she wrote back. She said, oh, my God, I can't believe you even answered me. <laughs> yeah. That's any, awesome. Nick, any of our so, listeners uh, listening yeah. to this, if they, uh, if anybody listening to this is single, they'll be trying to see if that girl's got a sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. She must be a pretty kinda good like woman. Old, yeah, kind of like that old flyer you used to see, you know, looking for a woman that can cook and clean and do laundry and mow grass <laughs> and has a boat. Send a picture of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, and I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because I know that's something new that you've been working on. And there's people that are probably all over the country that have no idea how affordable it could be to go out of state and hunt 
and find a place to hunt. And like you said, the intimidation factor plays into it a lot. I know it did for us. I mean, mm-hmm. we jetted out of state to go hunt public land, and we've been doggone successful at doing it. And we found that through this show, we've been able to introduce other people into that. I had a friend call the other day. He said, man, listening to your show and hearing you guys talk about public land hunting, we're going out of state for the first time. Me and my brother, we bought our tags, and we're going. And, and I think that's the thing that – we're trying to do something different with this podcast that a lot of people don't do. There's there's so much negativity we hear in the hunting industry as as consumers that people talk about what this guy shot and why he should have done this and why he should have done that. And that's just not the MO that we're driving here. And and you guys don't either at Bone Collector. You are always upbeat and positive and keep a you know positive energy about you. And I think that's the turn that we've made in the last few years in the industry and, and watching it on TV and hearing the YouTubes and everything else is that positive turn that people don't really care what you're doing as long as you're doing it and being happy about doing it. And that's the key thing that Absolutely. I think it's good to see. And it's, it's all, it's, it's great, man. We love, we love seeing it. Well, thanks man. Yeah. Positivity. It comes easy for me. Seriously. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a family that was negative. Everything was positive and that's right. Um, it's just as easy to be, you know, it's easier to be happy than it is to be ugly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You can tell so. you when you guys, you guys get into a camp, you're having fun with each other and everything else. And have you had the chance to hunt on Michael's farm or Bill's farm in Georgia? No, uh-uh, nope. Never been invited to hunt either one of them. <laughs> Amazing enough. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> maybe this fall, maybe this fall I'll get to hunt Michael's a little bit. He's got a really neat place down there. You know, he bought a he bought an apple orchard, or I mean a, a pecan, pecan orchard. Yeah. How'd you say and, that? Um, How'd you say that? Pecan. 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 How, how you, you guys say pecan? Pecan. <laughs> I, I, I pecan. say pecan. Pecans. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> is it a creek Everybody or a crick? a little bit different. Is it a creek or a crick? Well, where I grew up, it's a, it's a crick, you know, in the, down on the crick. And, <laughs> you know, one of the ways to differentiate the two is a creek, you can't jump across. You got to wade across it. A crick, you can jump across. That's a river here. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't wade so there you go. There you go. Or a branch. Yeah, That's a branch. A branch. <laughs> yeah. If you can jump across it, it's a branch. Oh, <laughs> uh, we had a guy on from from the uh, south. Was it uh, uh, Utah. Utah? Yeah, Utah. Yeah. And we said creek, and he said, "What the hell's a creek? It's a creek, ain't it?" And I was like, "No, a creek's what you yeah, get in your creek. neck." Yeah, that's right. A uh, Nick. It's talk- funny too because. Uh, Everybody calls it a crick where I'm from. It's a crick. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, Nick, top five states that you would uh, hunt if you only had to pick five? Top five states to hunt? Yes. Um, no order. Kansas, Kansas, Iowa, South Dakota, Texas. Um, those four are pretty easy. The last one would probably be uh, well, that last one's a tough one. Man, there's so many. Um, Montana, probably. Montana. Yeah. Montana. I like Montana. I like Wyoming, too. Wyoming and Montana are great. Wyoming, Wyoming, you guys, is a it is such a fun place to hunt, especially early season. The deer coming to the alfalfa. You see a lot of animals. I mean, it's a great, great early season venue. I mean, the, in September. It's just, it's just so cool. You just see so many deer. And last year when I hunted there, you know, I shot a really big buck there. The show's, the show's going to air pretty soon. 
um, in, in the third quarter on Outdoor Channel. Uh, but I shot a super heavy buck, and every day I saw big bucks. I mean, it, it's a really a great place. You know, like I said, the deer are smaller there, so your top-end bucks are 150s-type bucks. You know, we've killed some 160s, 170s, 180s over the years, but, you know, a four-year-old 10-pointer in Wyoming is in the 140s, you know, um, typically. But their bodies are smaller, and they look freaking huge. Like, if you see a 150-inch buck, it's like, golly, that is a big buck, you know. And I killed a, a put, a, I killed a buck pushing 150, but just the amount of deer I saw the day I killed it. I mean, I had 50, 60 deer come by me in the morning straight underneath my stand. And then in the evening, you know, had 40, 50 deer around me in the field. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really a great place, you know. So it's tough for me to pick the top five, but I could pick seven pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you start hunting when you were young before you moved out of South Dakota and started hunting other states? Were you, were you hunting out of a tree stand then? You know, just a little bit, not a lot. I, I pretty much gone hunting from the ground, but when I, when I bought my first bow, I was 14 when I bought my first bow. Um, in South Dakota, you can drive when you're 14. So when I was younger, pretty much just gun hunted. You can start at 12. Yeah. Um, so then when I was 14 and I bought a bow, I, I started driving. Then I started, then I started hanging tree stands and, um, pretty primitive back in the day. You know, I used, uh, I used a lot of APIs. Yeah. Um, they were about the best thing going and I bought a couple of those and then, you know, they had the T screw you'd screw in and you set it on the, on there and strap it in. So where I live, you know, there's a lot of limbs on the tree, so you can't use a climber. If I could have used a climber in some of the areas I hunted, that would have been great, but uh, just too many limbs on the trees there to, to use climbers. But, uh, yeah, I started hunting out of a, out of a tree and never wore a safety belt. No, I mean, just have something that um, came along later never in got life high, for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Never got very high either. You know, I probably always took about 15 feet. Um, and then some of the oak trees I was hunting, they're, they're short oaks up there, so you can't get real high in, in them anyway. Um, but then when I hunting, then I, then when I kind of started hunting with Bill, started climbing higher and wearing a safety belt. And, you know, when I first started, when I first started hunting with the real tree guys, I was pretty afraid of heights. You know, I was pretty afraid to get high up in a tree and I was always kind of hugging onto the tree. And once I got my camera arm, arm hugged, it felt a lot safer because I always had my hands on something. Um, but then it was pretty quick, you know, it was pretty quick once I, once I got used to it, you know, I wasn't scared anymore. But when I first really started climbing trees with camera gear and everything, I was a little bit spooky. And, um, I started wearing a safety harness real quick and, uh, couple times i remember going to stands with bill and i forgot my safety harness and man it was kind of freaky up there but i've kind of outgrown that now i'm probably maybe a little bit too complacent now but i still always wear a safety harness um always put a lifeline in if i can i think that's super important for people to know that even if you build a even if you build a lifeline your own you know um hang a line from the tree put a prusik hitch on it because i literally have known um several guys that have fallen out of trees are now in wheelchairs. And I, I actually know a couple of guys that, that died from falling out of the tree. So yeah, those um, stories, it's no joke, you know, never seem to pop, uh, fail to pop up in the fall of guys that could have been, you know, they, they really could have prevented tragedy for themselves or their family by wearing those, those safety harnesses. And we don't, we don't hunt without them. I mean, it's something that stays with us. Yeah. If, if I've been to a tree and forgot, you know, my safety horn, my, my hook for the tree, uh, my rope. And I'm like, yeah. I got to go back and get it because I'm not getting in this tree without it. I mean, it's just too easy to get yeah. hurt. We know, we know all too well it's too easy to get hurt. And it's, we want to be, it's, <laughs> I want to take as much uh, chance yeah. as I can out of it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just really not in a pain. So, 
<laughs> me neither. <laughs> Falling and breaking both of your legs. And I saw a story one time of a guy that fell out of a tree stand on one of the, I don't know, like a 911 show or something. Poor guy fell out of a tree stand, broke his legs and his hips, couldn't get up, couldn't move, and landed right in a fire ant hill. Oh, God. And uh, for about five hours, just got eaten alive by fire ants. And so he never made it home. And so his family went out and they looked for him. They found him. And they showed pictures of him laying in hospital bed. Not only, you know, he's all busted up and fallen, but I mean, the guy was bloated up like a tick because he got bit so many times by these fire ants. Just not a, just not fun. And I know a lot of people that have fallen out of a tree and didn't get hurt. I mean, a lot. David Blanton's one of them. David Blanton fell about 23 feet one time out of a tree. He was just sat in the tree and he. Wow didn't have a safety harness on and he kind of went to bounce in the tree and it snapped and he fell straight to the ground. And, um, lucky, lucky for him, you know, he just kind of got up and brushed himself off and climbed right back up and and hung the stand. Um, but you know, it was a scary moment for him. You know, it took just seconds for him to get to the ground and yeah, that's not a fun thing. And I've, you know, I try to be as careful as I possibly can. So you've, you've go ahead, Cody. Well, no, I was just going to say you've, You've obviously had an awesome uh, career with a lot of success, but do you ever find yourself missing uh, being in the guide side of things and kind of, I mean, do you miss doing that at all? You know, you know, I, um, I really don't. Um, you know, my whole goal was to, was, was to someday be in the spot that I'm in, you know, and I never knew if it would come to fruition or not. Um, but, for me, as a guide, you know, I always wanted my clients to be successful, so I really was always under a lot of pressure, and, and I really felt the pressure. And so, you know, in northeast Wyoming where I hunted, you know, we always had a lot of game. People would see a lot of deer, and we had nice bucks all the time. But, you know, there's those weeks where the deer aren't moving well, the blizzard comes in, um, you know, in October mule deer hunting, it might be 100 degrees, so the deer aren't moving at all, and they're hidden well, and you know, there's always those weeks where you don't get your, where your client doesn't kill the deer. And so that pressure really got to me. I mean, I really felt a lot of pressure because I always wanted my people to get their animals because I felt like, um, where I was guiding at 7J Outfitters, our hunts were kind of like the working, working man's hunts. You know, they weren't the super high dollar hunts. They weren't the bottom of the barrel. They were just kind of the working man's hunt. So we had the guys from Pennsylvania that worked in the coal mines, that worked in the steel mills, um, guys that had to save for a couple of years to come on the hunt. Right. So I always felt bad sending a guy home without a deer because I knew he had to go back to a, a family that he had worked hard, you know, taking time off away from and taking money out of their pocket to go on this hunt. And so um, when I had the opportunity, when the guys from Realtree, they came hunting with us. And so um, the very first day, I showed David Blanton a bunch of the footage I had filmed over the years of my clients with the kids in camp. And he said, man, you run a really good camera. You know, that's pretty impressive. Would you ever consider coming to work for us? And so I, right away, I was like, heck yeah, man, I'm in. (laughs) I was like, that was like a dream come true right away. And so I went to Jeff and Deb and I said, Hey, David has offered me a job, you know, to come work for Realtree. And I, you know, something I really want to do. And they were both like, no, that sounds like a great opportunity, but I was kind of one of their head guides. I was running a camp for them in Newcastle, Wyoming. So they said, just guide for us for one more year because, you know, you're gonna, it's going to be hard to find somebody to replace you. So, right. um, so I did that and then I went to work for them. But, you know, that's kind of how that all got started. But uh, that's kind of why I don't miss the guiding as much just yeah. because it's just a, it was a lot of pressure for me. I think it'd be different today. 
Um, today, I'd use it probably more as a vacation rather than, uh, right. uh, uh, you know, my main source of source of income like it was back then. And so, um, I think a lot of the guys that guide now are guys that take two, three weeks off from their job and they go out there. And so they really enjoy it because it is, it is more fun for me. It was, it was a, um, a way to make my income. And I just want to be successful, man. Even today, you know, when I get up in the morning and I go hunting, I mean, I want to feel the deal on them. That's why I'm oh, out absolutely. there, you know, and that's yeah. why I got into this whole business because I want to get my hands on them. And, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I thought about being a veterinarian and, I thought, man, I love animals. It'd be a great way to get my hands on these animals, see a bunch of different animals, and I'm just an animal nut. And so I soon figured out that math was not my strong point. The only thing I was ever good at was counting money. I'm not good at physics or, or, you know, chemistry or any of that crap. (laughs) And so um, I quickly found out that shooting them was going to be easier than saving them. So (laughs) I got into hunting rather than the veterinary side of it. (laughs) <laughs> well, get, well, starting out with those guys and getting to spend a lot of time with Bill, like you had mentioned, what's a piece of advice that he gave you when y'all first started hunting together that um, really stuck out and kind of resonated with you and you've taken them, you know, since on in your career? You know, I think just um, being really persistent as a hunter um, was one of the biggest things that I learned from Bill. You know, we didn't take a day off. I mean, we went from from Montana you know, flew to Illinois, hunted there for four or five days, flew down to Texas, flew up to Iowa, flew to Kansas, just being persistent. And I think, I think with anybody um, that wants to be successful, that's the biggest advice I can give to anybody. Um, time spent in, in the tree is, is uh, how you're going to get it done. So even, even in states where the hunting isn't as great, you know, uh, the more time you spend, the better your odds go up. So that's, that's one thing I learned from Bill. And then just, um, you know, figuring out where to hang stands and figuring out how the, how the deer move and scouting. And, you know, if you're in a stand one day and there's a bunch of deer passing the spot, um, it's probably best to get over there, you know, and, and, uh, be mobile, be quiet, you know, don't walk around on the trails. Don't, you know, don't get your scent out there on the ground. Cause as soon as you do that, you're not going to come back by there anymore. Right. And, I mean, just being real cautious, you know, that that's a lot of the stuff that I learned on the road, you know, in those first few years. What you got, Nick? <laughs> well, I don't know if he wants to answer this, but who's a better bow shot between you three? <laughs> it's got to be T-Bone. <laughs> the Georgia well, T-Bone, T-Bone's definitely the best shot. You know, um, to me, to me, there's, there's different situations. And, you know, what I'm good at is what I'm good at is just when the deer comes getting drawn on them, getting them killed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a target shooter. I don't shoot targets, but when we do shoot targets, the, the, the targets that I'm good at shooting at are the pop-up targets because they're more like hunting. So you draw your bow, you get, get your pin on them, you let her rip, you know, you can't sit there for 30 seconds and try to get honed in and get dialed in. You know, it's more of a hunting type situation. So those are the ones I'm good at. And, and T-Bone is, you know, hands down the best shot out of both of us. I mean, he's a world champion for crying out loud. So yeah. he's, he's definitely the best, you know. I, I know. I, I figured you was going to say that. I just wanted you to say something different. <laughs> but, heck, you know, I mean, we're, we're, yeah, we all can get it done. You know, I, I'm, not afraid to, I'm not afraid to shoot with anybody, you know, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But uh, T-Bone's definitely uh, been doing it a long time, and, and he's a student 
he's a student of archery and he's a student of, of equipment in the game. You know, uh, for me, um, I can set up a bow and get it shooting good, but I always, I always let T-Bone set myself up because he's so good at it. And he's so anal. That was that my he gets next everything question. dialed in perfect. And that yeah, was, that and was he, my and next question. If he's, he... the, he's, yeah, he's the man when it comes to setting up a bow. So I, I let him set up all my stuff. Um, well, tell us what he gets set... it all dialed in and, Tell us what your setup is, yep. upcoming year is. So this year I'm shooting uh, the Hoyt, the Ventum, the 33-inch Hoyt Ventum. Um, it's a it's an aluminum riser. Uh, this year we just decided to push the aluminum riser bows a little bit. We've been we've been hunting with the, the carbon bows for the last several years, but we decided to try to push the aluminums a little bit this year. And um, I shoot a uh, dead ringer sight. I'm shooting a sight called the Wheel. Kind of, kind of. Um, nicknamed after me the wheel i guess but it's a <laughs> it's a four pin movable um which i really like you know for for one year several years ago i shot a single pin movable and there were a couple instances that i got in where it happened fast and just going from the rangefinder to having to move the site um i didn't like the one pin so i went to a four pin and i like it because i'm set up for 20 30 40 50 typically anything further than 50 you have just time to range and move your site so it's a little bit easier but if stuff happens fast and close range, um, it's kind of like the tr- traditional pin sight. I can I can range and just pick my pin and shoot them. And so I really like that. But then the capability to dial it in, um, if there's a, a bull standing at 78 yards, I can dial it to 78 and it's spot on. And um, You know, those are long shots, but an elk's a big critter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but nonetheless, if he's that far away, you usually have time to range him and, and you know, get it where you want. So I really like that. And then I shoot, uh, I shoot an HHA Vertex uh, drop away, which I really like. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm using all the Hoyt, the Hoyt accessories uh, from the stabilizer to the quiver. Um, and then, you know, we, we shoot tax cams on our, out on the end of our quiver. So I like those too. The tax cams are kind of cool way to ca- capture your hunt. I really like them for turkey hunting because I can set them out on the decoys and then they run on a remote control. And so, um, with some of the other kinds of cameras, uh, like the GoPros and stuff, you have to set a Wi-Fi. So while the Wi-Fi is running, um, it's taking out the battery. But with the taxi cams, it's run on a radio frequency. So you can sit there all day and hit the button, it's going to turn on. So that's what I like about them. And you can, you can, you know, I think the guys at TacCam told me they had 80 of them set up on one trigger one time. So wow. I usually run four or five of those in my tree, in the blind. I have a couple pointing back at us couple you know out in the area would think the animals coming from and then one on my boat so they're really a great really a great tool um, sh- to have out there too you shooting fixed blades or mechanicals i shoot a mechanical i shoot the dead meat um by g5 this year i might try they got a new one it's called the mega meat it's got a big two inch cut and leaves a huge hole so i think i'll probably switch to that but the dead meat uh the havoc is the two blade and man, it's got a two inch cut and it is razor sharp. I mean, it's one of those where you got to be careful putting it on because you'll cut your finger open with it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a really good head too. It has, it has, um, exposed blades. So you hear people say once in a while that the, that on any mechanical that it doesn't o- open, excuse me. Um, but it's impossible. It's impossible for it to not open. And even if it doesn't open, it still got cut on contact, you know, the blades are exposed. So, you know, it's going to cut like a normal, you know, fixed blade, three quarter inch cut, you know, but, um, 
I guess the biggest reason I do shoot the mechanicals is because they fly exactly like my field points. And so I can practice in my backyard. Um, you know, I can, I can shoot and shoot and shoot. And then I don't ruin a broadhead. Um, and it doesn't tear up my target. You know, if you're shooting fixed blades, you need to practice with them because they all fly different. So that's one of the, that's one of the, the downsides to it. You know, you have to, you have to buy, um, that broadhead. Now, now G5 is, is sent in a ballistic match point with the broadhead that shoot just like the, the um, fixed blade. So that's nice. Um, but, you know, if you're shooting the fixed blades in your backyard, they tear up your target, they get bent, you know, stuff happens to them. So that's why I really like the, the, um, mechanicals and then they seem to buck the wind a little bit better it's a little tighter a little tighter formation in there it's a little more compact head so when it's flying through the wind the wind doesn't take it it doesn't plane as much as say some of the, the fixed or the the fixed blades and i really like that so if you're shooting you know out west i've shot several animals 60 70 yards and they just you know they just don't catch the wind as much so other than that piece of advice you just said there with shoot it, make sure you shoot your broadheads and your field tips. What other piece of advice being a, you know, like you said, you shoot, you're just a hunter. You don't go out in competition shoot. Most of us are just hunters. We don't go shoot competitions. You have any other advice that you'd give yep. somebody? Um, I think, I think uh, a little heavier arrow is, is good. You know, I'm not, I'm not about speed. I've always been more about, uh, accuracy and penetration so what i always do no matter what arrow i'm shooting i put 100 75 to 100 grain insert inside the tip and then um so i'm shooting a you know i'm shooting a, a really heavy arrow i mean and that's just something that i've always done because it number one it, it bucks the wind a lot better if you're shooting a really light fast arrow um you know you go out west and you shoot 60 70 yards in a 25 mile an hour wind you're gonna you're going to know it. You're going to shoot way off. And so the arrows that I'm shooting are heavy. And so I don't have to adjust a ton for that. You know, I can, I can pretty much hold tight to where I want to uh, hit and, and, and hit there. And so I just like that. And then the penetration too is just phenomenal. I mean, just blasts right through them where some of those, some of those lighter arrows, your kinetic energy gets taken out, you know, within the first six, eight inches of, of impact. Um, but the heavier arrow, uh, with a heavy FOC on it for me, um, I've had a lot of pass through on moose and elk and bears and, and big deer. So that's what I really like is I like the penetration and, you know, if you hit them in the right spot, you're going to get a pass through and, and you get to find your arrow and, and, um, analyze your arrow, see where you hit, whether it's lungs or heart or, you know, if you got gut material on it. Um, I think that's really important. So I, I, you know, I just like shooting a little bit heavier arrow. They're slow. You know, my, my arrows are shooting, you know, around 270 feet per second is all. Um, but I like a, I like a slow hit rather than a fast miss. So. You, do you got enough, do you have a different setup for shooting turkeys? Nope. I shoot the exact same thing okay. and it just bumps them. Okay. I love it. Okay. Yep. Same, right. same setup. What's that arrow brand you're shooting now? I think I've seen something about it. So now I, I'm shooting arachnid, arachnid archery. They're a new company. Uh, the guy that started this company built arrows for different companies for years. And so they knew a lot of the technology and knew, and knew how and where to build the arrows. And so uh, they've come out with eight new SKUs from uh, the micros all the way up to, you know, the regular standard size arrows and really strong stuff, really good stuff. Um, true, true woven 
arrows, the top end arrows, you know, a true woven. So they're super strong. And, um, they just came to me and said, Hey, we got this new brand that we're starting and we'd like to work with you. And so they sent me a bunch of stuff to try and I loved it. And so I just said, heck with it. Let's do it. So that's, yeah, what, we, we're, that's what we're shooting this year is arachnid. We've seen them on Instagram. Um, they, they follow us and we followed them. We've been trying to line up a show with those guys and, and I've actually spoken with them and we're going to try to line because it does look like something for the future. They, they seem like a great group of guys to, to put stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Really good guys, hunters and, and, uh, you know, have, have built a really good product and they've been in the business a long time. So they know arrows. So I was excited to get started with them and kind of help, you know, start something from scratch. So that's kind of, that's kind of why I did it too. You know, it's that building block of those foundations. Well, Nick, we're, you know, we're kind of getting uh, down here to the end of it and I'm going to spin it over here to Nick and, and let him ask a, a couple of questions. But before I do, I got one question to ask, um, before I go to him for his final, final kind of thoughts for the night um if you had one hunt that nick Munt could go on today for any species with any person it would be who who would that person be past or, or past present or future someone you've been with who, who would that person be you know um lucky for me um i get to i get to hunt with the two the two guys that i want to hunt with to be honest with you um Hunting, being in camp with T-Bone and Michael is, is the funnest, uh, camps that I get to go to. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to hunt with a lot of great people. So, you know, if I had to pick one person that I wanted to go on a hunt with, um, it would probably be, that's a tough question, but it is. It there's is. one guy that I, there's one guy, um, and, and not on the, not so much on the fun side, he's a fun guy, but there's one guy that I think maybe head and shoulders above all guides and outfitters and hunters in the country. And that's Doyle Moss. Okay. Um, Doyle Moss has world records. He's got state records. He's got archery records. He's got muzzleloader records. The guy is a machine when it comes to killing big animals. And so, uh, Doyle and I do a little bit of business together on the booking side of things. And uh, we've known each other for years. I've hunted with him on a couple of different occasions. I'm not him personally, but with some of his guides. Right. So I think to, to be able to, to go on a hunt with Doyle Moss, um, get into some of his country that he knows so well and has scouted so hard. And, um, I think Doyle is a guy that, you know, I would really love to be in camp and, and, and be able to hunt with and have him guide me. Because he is so good, I mean, there's just a lot of guys that are great in the West. Doyle um, has made a name for himself, has built an awesome reputation, not only being a great hunter and doing it by the book, but just being somebody that gets it done on big animals. Huge you know? mule deer. And so, Huge mule deer. Oh, elk, too. I mean, his really? elk hunting. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's killed. Oh, yeah, he's got the world record. He's got the world record bull with a rifle. He's got the archery world record. I mean, or, or had at one time, yeah. you know, they both might've been broken in the last year or so. But, um, you know, he's just a, he's just a great, great hunter. And, and when it comes to trophies, there's not a lot of people that have put, you know, bulls and bucks in the back of the truck, like Doyle Moss. So I guess if I had to pick one quick, I could probably do a little research and right. come up with somebody better, but I love, oh, that's I, love a good one. I like that's Doyle a good Moss. One. And he's, he's a machine. The guy is a machine, you know? 
What you got, Nick? I want you to hit him with it. <laughs> hey, you kind of – so this, this was kind of asked earlier a little bit, and then you kind of added – you said this in the front about taking someone hunting, um, so getting someone new into the outdoors. But what's another piece of advice that you would give somebody that, that hunts every day or just looking to get into the outdoors? What's a piece of advice that, that Nick Munt would give them? Well, my advice for – you know, I get a lot of young people that want to get into this business, but my idea, my idea and my advice is, is um, become a guide, um, you know, work at a sporting goods store, go to a lot of shoots, uh, just try to open doors for yourself, get yourself immersed in the industry, whatever that may be. And then when you get your break, um, whether you, you know, if you start guiding for somebody or running camera, um, you know, you can, there's a lot of editing jobs and a lot of camera jobs right now. Um, when you get that opportunity, just over deliver, uh, get out of bed in the morning, you know, don't, don't make it so someone's got to come looking for you, be available, um, work hard. You know, if there's a pile of gear that needs to be thrown in the truck, grab a piece and throw it in. Don't tell, don't, ha- don't wait around for somebody to ask you to do it. Um, and, and be personable, you know, talk and, and learn. Um, just really over deliver on being attentive and, and working hard. Um, don't be the first guy to go to bed at night. You know, be the last guy that's helping do the dishes and, um, you know, just, just those kinds of things. And I think that, that'll go a long way and, and, uh, Show people that you're not just there for one thing. Uh, be multidimensional. And I think that's what, you know, more than anything, kind of helped me along in my career. Be personable and, and don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and get in there and, um, you know, gut deer and cape and help guys hang their deer up and skin them and um, just little things like that. You know, it's, uh, it's very important to be attentive to what's going on around you and don't be a pain in the ass. I mean, <laughs> you know, without, you know, there you go. trying not to cut, cut too much, but, uh, be an asset. Don't be a, don't be, you know, don't drag people down, be an asset to somebody rather than, a um, whatever the word would be, but a pain in the ass. Don't be the, so don't be the guy in camp to be that, the pain in the ass. Well, that yeah. was, that was well answered. And, and from your point of view, from what you do in the industry, that was well answered for anybody that's looking to get into this, I believe. Um, right, right. People aren't people aren't looking for something they got to they want to babysit. They want to they want somebody that's going to add to the team and be a, a you know an asset to them. So I think that you know that's right. That's, that's the right. biggest thing. Yes. Hey, uh, Nick, what are you most thankful for? Oh well, I, first of all, I'm most thankful for my family. I mean, I've got a great family. Um, you know, starting starting from my parents. Um, you know. This, this business didn't come overnight. And so, you know, for 15, 15 years plus, you know, I was bouncing from guiding here, filming there, you know, bouncing around, slept on my, in my, you know, on my parents' couch a lot. Um, I'd keep my gear at my parents' house and, you know, wasn't married, didn't have anything going on. And so, uh, you know, they, they basically allowed me just to, to you know, to, uh, headquarter out of their place. And so, I'd go to Montana for a week, come home for two days, go to Illinois for a week, come home for two days. So I did that for a long, long time. So, um, that was great. And then, you know, my wife now, you know, she's, she's very, um, giving when it comes to me being on the road and doing what, doing what I do. And so, um, you know, it's changed a little bit with the kids and stuff now, but just for her to be able to, you know, allow me to continue to do this, be gone for a week here, come back for three, four days, go somewhere else for a week, 
you know, it's all about the family. And so um, I'm just thankful that I've got a family that understands what I do. And so my parents, my mom never said, when are you going to get a real job? Or, you know, this, this is never going to pan out for you. You're wasting your time, this hunting crap, you know, and they were always just supportive and knew that someday it was going to, you know, pan out for me. And um, I really feel like it was my calling in life. I mean, this is what I was, this is what I was put, put here to do. And it's just what I love. And so family, you know, my family has, has really helped me, you know, and paved the way for me to get to do this. Um, not only my lifestyle, but, you know, it's just my life and I love it. And so that's been a, that's been a huge asset is uh, the family around me. Yeah. Well, man, I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on here. All these guys are going to go around and talk, but I want to say personally, thanks for getting with us. I know it's been, you know, congratulations on the new house. I know you've been working on that and, you know, turkey season was winding down and everybody was trying to get ready and get ready for the off season. And I can't thank you enough, man, for the humble that you bring to everybody. I mean, if you'd ask us, ask me and Alex back in November, hey, you think we'll have Nick Munn on and at, at the first day of July and be our fiftieth episode? I'd have said no, and and I'd have lost money. But um, yeah, people like you, man, when when the way you carry yourself and everybody else that we've ever had on this podcast has been so nice to us, and and there's there's so many nice people out there in this industry, and people discredit them. The media does. Well. I, I appreciate that, man. I just, I just feel lucky to get to do, to do this. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm anything great. You know, I just really am lucky to be here and, and, uh, getting to do what I truly love to do for a living is, I don't know. I still pinch myself, man. I still just can't even believe it, you know? So, so thank you, man. That, that, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Cody, what you got? Well, it's just been over said, but I just, you know, I appreciate you do, uh, taking time away from your family and coming on here, spending an hour or so with us and, I've been watching you for a long time and following you, and I support everything y'all y'all do. And I just hope you keep keep hammering them and putting out some content for us to watch because we love it. Well, I hope so too, brother, because it's the only thing I know. So <laughs> I don't want to start having to run a jackhammer or something now at my age. I'm almost fifty. So. <laughs> Nick Munt's barber shop. Yeah, Nick Munt's barber shop. Right. <laughs> or harmonica yeah. playing. Well, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I haven't had a, I haven't had my barber's license for, I let it go probably five years ago. So, you know, probably if I end up going back to cutting hair, I'm gonna have to do it under the table anyway because I won't have a license anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh me, well Nick is Nick as uh Nick and Cody uh you know reiterated your your humble approach to everything that you do, man. It's it's invigorating and refreshing to see from you know guys that are. We're consumers. I mean, we're fresh in this, you know, start to try to get into the hunting industry in any way that we can. And we've we've had amazing opportunities as it's went. And we kind of talked talk amongst ourselves about what would we do for our 50th episode. And we tried to get uh, on with you earlier. And, and I honestly feel like the stars aligned for it to get to that 50th episode. And, and we have you on because you're somebody that brings a, a very refreshing and, and positive influence to everything that you do. And I'm not trying to, to give you the big head or anything <laughs> by saying that, but, but no, man, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, you know, that's the, the honest opinion that we all have. And, and you hear people that, you know, as I said early on, the keyboard warriors that, that beat up these, these people that are in the, the influence of the, the hunting public, and that are able to put themselves out there, you do a you do a great job of putting yourself out there in a real situation in a real light that you can relate to. You when you're standing in a tree and and we've watched you kill deer that 
you know, dreams are made of. Your humble approach to it, you're always thanking the guides. You're always thanking the cameraman. You're always thanking the guy that's, that's you know, toting gear or, or cleaning dishes. Like you said, those guys, and, and I think that's because you can look at what you've built off of and you know what that guy went through to get to where he's at and you can see something in them. And that's, a, that's the positivity that we want to continue to see. And I can't wish you anything more than the best of luck for the future. And, and we hope to run into you somewhere down the road, hopefully at a trade show or, at, you know, maybe at ATA or at, if, we, if we're fortunate enough to get there one day or, or maybe in a hunting camp or whatever it may be. But, you know, you always got a house uh, in here in Georgia to come spin with. One of, one of three, come pile in, we'll have you any time. And if Michael won't take Heck you yeah. hunting, we will. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I, you know, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, doing, doing these kind of podcasts is, are, are great. I love it. You know, I love BSing and I love just telling stories and, and, uh, and talking. So, you know, thanks for having me. I'm sorry it took so long to get on here, but, um, the stars you know, aligned this, for this it. Was, like I said, it was, it was really meant fun. To be. I, I really, yeah. And I really enjoyed doing this kind of stuff. So thank you guys. And, and, uh, you know, just, if you need anything from me, let me know. Um, I'll get you guys hooked up with Bone, and you can get him on here too. And uh, you know, this is this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. So, uh, so thank you. But I just want to ask too. Um, you know, like you said, if if anybody's looking to go on a hunting trip, whatever it is, just you can hit me up, Nick at nickmunt.com, or even even uh, you know, my Instagram handle is nickmunt. Same with Twitter and and Facebook. Uh, but you can you can just uh, send messages on those too, and and I'd and love he to will talk respond. to anybody. <laughs> he will Absolutely. respond. Absolutely. That's the key you thing. Bet. When you sent that message back that first you day, bet. I was like, "Oh, Nick Munt responded." So, but we, uh, like I said, yep. we can't thank you enough. And Any, um, anybody else you want to plug in real quick? Yeah, Nick, plug away, man. You know, no, just uh, you know, follow us, follow us on on all of our Instagram. Um, like I said, mine's Nick Munt. You can follow us on Bone Collector. Um, at Bone Collector, and then you know, we've got a lot of great apparel and stuff on uh, BoneCollector.com. So um, we've got a big, we got a big Fourth of July sale going on. I don't know if this will air before the Fourth of July, uh, but uh, we'll definitely plug. You know, that. Just, yeah, just check it out, man. BoneCollector.com. You know, that's that's the heart and soul of everything we do is Bone Collector. So um, I just appreciate you guys having me, man. Thank you so much. We'll definitely be doing it again in the future. So uh, look for look forward to that. Heck yeah. Anytime. Just let me know and I'm in. All right. Thank Thanks, you very Nick. much, Nick. Everybody, Nick Munt, Bone Collector. 50th episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, man. It's an honor to be on the 50th one. So we'll be talking. Really cool. We'll be talking to you soon, Nick. All right. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, I really man. appreciate it. See you, man. Yep. All right, everybody. Nick Munt from the Bone Collector. I mean, what can we say? You know, it's exactly probably what we uh, expected him to be coming on the show. You know, we've we've tried to line him up for a, for a few months, and it's been something that we wanted to do. And when we saw that call come in tonight that it was going to, you know, finally get to fruition and happen, he's been busy. And like we've said all along. It was along, meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, was it, meant it absolutely to be. was. It absolutely was. And, you know, I can't say enough about it. I mean, I'm I'm pumped up, you know, as I could be. I'm excited. This has been this has been great for me. I'm 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 I, elated I'm, with. I it. mean, I know he says, "Oh, I'm nothing special, whatever." But when you grow up watching those guys 
I'm not gonna lie, dude. I was a little bit starstruck. I was starstruck. Yeah, I was like, I'm 100 uh, sure. A I'm little bit, <laughs> dude. I was sitting here looking at the camera. You rubbed like, a hole oh in your blue jeans. I am. My, my Wranglers. I've got to throw these away. They're they're done. I had so much to say before I came on here, and I just I I, mean, I think it just happens. I mean, you just meet people and see people, and but he he didn't. But no, I mean he's the most. He's like everyone else. We yeah, talk to everybody him. else. Just everybody genuine, else. genuine, humble. He don't think he's greater than. No, you know, he puts. Man, his, he, I can't. They, they're afraid. They're afraid down there. Booger bottom. Let him loose, ain't they? Oh, they are. He's That's a hammer the key right yeah. there. Is it, as good as he I is. I can't with believe that they've been friends since '97. Michael won't let him hunt. Oh well. Honestly, it's probably Nick. Probably always has so many places to go. Yeah, yeah. He probably don't have time to go down. There. I'm sure he just said save it for them kids. I'm just throwing some jabs in there, but <laughs> he's throwing in there for Michael's kids. So, oh man, it was a good episode. What else you got? I don't know. I mean, how can you end 50? You don't end 50. You continue we'll just keep on. Going. What, yeah. if I, what if I tell you in November we, we're we up to 100 episodes and we got blah, blah, blah on? <laughs> I'm not going to argue it with anything that you would say because at this point, you know, how, how many special people that, you know, and I think going into 50 that – Let's take a second because, I mean, we're not in any hurry to end the episode by any stretch, but let's take a second and reflect back, and I want to ask this question. I thought about it today. Think back to the people we've had on the show, 50 episodes. Mm -hmm. We've had locals. We've had people from all over the country. We've had amazing TV personalities. We've had people that, you know, are in the hunting eye day in and day out. But just think about it because I thought about it today, and I've already got mine. And who or what – was your favorite episode that we've done so far? And I'm going to answer first while you think about it. And I'm not going to say that it was my favorite episode, but I'm going to go all the way back to, to the very beginning when we first had the the Cody Mayo and his whole crew come in mm-hmm. and with the kids when we first got them on involved. That's one of my favorite moments that we've had as far as people in studio, that we were able to get them in person and talk with them. And we had so much fun that night. We did. And the night carried itself so very well into two episodes that we recorded. And it was so much fun to hear those stories and see where we've developed from then in the comfort level we've been able to get talking into a microphone and not have to be all professional and positive, you know, mm-hmm. about it. We don't – we beat ourselves up. We call, man, I was messed up last night on it. And that's just like, talk. Don't worry about it. Just go yeah. with it. But from all the people we've had on, and that was one of my favorites that we've had, um, I'm going to say that my favorite episode that we've done so far was Don. When Don first came on, because Don was really the first person that we got on of a, I'll say a prominent name uh, in the hunting industry, and I was starstruck that night. And mm-hmm. we've been able to develop a relationship with those guys and, and what he was able to deliver and what we wanted to do and the relationship we've built with him. That was absolutely my my favorite episode we've done so far. So, Cody, what you got? I know mine. Mine, mine come right to my head, and it's not – Jason Lewis, that's yeah. a good one, hundred percent. I mean, I I I learned so much that night in an hour, and then just a little bit. I mean, me and Alex went and helped him yesterday do something in his house, and you know, he talked about the opportunity of us going hunting with him and everything. And I'm jumping all over it because I feel like I can learn so much from that guy. Yeah, and you know, not to say he is or isn't a big name or in the hunting industry or whatever, but he's a hammer, and he knows what he knows what's going on, and 
and you won't meet a nicer person. Yeah. So that's mine. I mean, I know it's – I know we've had, we've had a lot of good ones. But. I know. I, I, and I don't have one. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just sitting here thinking because I've never thought about it, but I just can't single-handedly think, man, this one's better than the other ones. Now, did I enjoy the conversations with some of the people probably? And that's what I'm asking others? for. Not necessarily yeah, your but, favorite yeah, episode. But I, don't, but I don't know if I had a you know favorite. But of course, you know, you know my turkey passion, so I enjoyed all the turkey ones we've done. Yeah. Right. Um, but – what I've got, what I've got out of this fifty episodes more than talking to the folks that we've talked we've talked to, is the new journeys that people have made, or the leaps that people have made, and people's going out of town, people's filming themselves like myself, and people's um, people's just doing different things, and people are asking themselves different questions. Why wasn't I doing this years ago, or why wasn't I? Why have I not been, um, you know, hunting out of a different type of tree stand, anything like that? That that's what. When we talked about doing this podcast, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted it to open a door to people, somebody to learn something that they can start doing every day. So I yeah. don't, I don't have a favorite episode. I mean, the turkey ones were probably my favorite, and I, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, what stu- what sticks out in your mind is one, and and I'm not discrediting anybody that's been on, of course, but I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, don't, I just don't think there's one. Well, I, I really don't. I mean, my second one, as far as conversation and just being who he is and the questions we got to ask and pick his brain was Dave. And I mean, I'm sure yeah. you're. Kind I mean, of, I I enjoyed Dave just as much as anybody's, right. you know. Yeah. But but, I, I, but it, it's hard it's hard to say that I. But God, you go into Dave, you talk about the, how good the KT team experience. Well, exactly. Say, when we went in live studio and, and watched all those guys smile and Jason yeah. smile and 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 being with KT and you know KT telling us afterwards, man, I. I had a good time doing this. He's like, it was just like we were sitting around the campfire um, talking. So, um, new beginnings for everybody. And I think that's what – I think we're delivering exactly what we wanted to do 50 episodes ago. Yeah. I think it's been – I think it's been refreshing to see the shells come off. I, I can talk to anybody. I've never had a problem with that. But sitting here talking to, mm-hmm. you know, the people that we've been fortunate enough to talk to – I get a little nervous with that, but when we settle into it and realize they're like just like well, us. Well, I think some people are misled by is, is we get these people on like Nick Munt, and and we want to talk to them as much as anybody else does, but we're trying to pick their brains to help somebody else out. That's the way I think. Yep. When I'm asking his question, I'm asking if somebody sitting on the sidelines thinking, man, I wonder how he done that, or wonder wonder what broadhead he's shooting, or wonder what if he's hunting out of a tree stand, or you know. That's the kind of things I well, sit back and think about. Well, that, that's kind of why I asked the question about if he if he missed guiding, you know, if, if the industry's kind of taking the passion away from him from actually getting people out there because I was curious, you know, because that was something that I always thought would be amazing, being able to guide and stuff like that. So I wonder when he stepped into the industry, if he kind of looks back sometimes and is like, man, I kind of miss that, you yeah. know, but. Well, I hope, it. and what's. I mean, you talk about favorite episodes. You talk about favorite episodes. I mean, I can take. I'll take Hunter. You know, that could be one of my favorite episodes. I watched that kid from nine years old. Yeah. I used to pick him up in LJ from his mom, take him hunting. And now he's a grown man and killing turkeys out west and, you know, championship, not first place yet, but soon to be on the road of championship caller. Yeah. I mean, he's of that caliber and he's only 19 years old. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't have one that just – well, you go to the simplest-minded people, or I won't say simple-minded, but simplest-speaking people that we've had on, James Turner. Yeah. James, come on. That was an amazing episode we did with him that night. Yeah. But while we're sitting here talking about this, the, the one of the phone calls that, that came through while we were on here was my little cousin Luke. 
Luke lives in in Wyoming, I believe. Now he moved out there to work for a guide service. His mm-hmm. dream was to be a guide, and he left here in Canton, Georgia, really? to move out there to go to work. He's actually working on a dude ranch this summer, working horses. Never worked a horse a day in his life, but he wants to be out there in that environment. And he's working for a guide this fall, so he's living that dream that you know people want to talk about. He jumped up and got gone. Yeah, and he he made mention to me the other day that he called. I talked to him before he left. That you know. Love the podcast. Love what y'all are doing. I'm gone. I'm taking this, taking it, and getting gone. You know, I'm people taking doing, an opportunity. People are doing different things that they wouldn't have done before. Yeah, maybe that's what this is all about for us. I, I, that's exactly what it's about for me. So, I Bill, mean, Nick, the way Nick answered that um, question about advice, the way he answered, 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 you get ans- it, answered <laughs> it. <laughs> get that peanut butter out of your mouth. <laughs> my mind's thinking faster. My mouth can move. <laughs> answered that question about doing that and working harder that was just a great answer and, and from his standpoint what he sees what he went through in the industry we all need to do that whether it's our job or this podcast or your cousin going out there yeah i think it's work all hard. about work hard and it pays off work more hours like johnny utah said that was right. an amazing episode it was, was i mean and you I, just click through them in your brain you're like oh dang i mean there's so many you start relationships built with shad Joey Joey Turner. Baku. I mean, you go all the way back to Barbara and the Buck. I mean, you know, talking to Brian Marsing and those guys from from Baku. I mean, that's been an amazing experience for us. Courtney's was a good episode. Courtney's was a great episode. Kenzie, that was a fun one. I mean, there's there's little episodes that we've <laughs> so done all along. I mean, any one that we've done, you know, if you listen to this and you were on a previous episode, we want to thank you, you know, just like we thank everybody. There's no not one more important than the other to us. It was time out of someone's day, time, the most valuable resource that we have in this world that you're never going to get back. You gave us an opportunity and a piece of your time, and that's the key thing for us, and that's why we you know take so much from it. So anything else you got? Good episode, boys. Let's go on to the next 50. Great episode. Next, the countdown is on to 100. We're on, the, we're on the backside of 50. We are. We're on past it now. So we're gone. 11,000 downloads. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Great opportunities on the horizon. There's going to be some amazing content that's going to be dropping in the next few weeks on all the social media platforms. We've got new partners that we're going to be announcing very soon. We've got new relationships that we're continuing to build. We've got a full slate ahead of us as we go into the fall and we start building. We've uh, got episodes that are going to be dropping with, with some favorite past guests coming back on and we've got them lined up to talk about the upcoming deer season and if it's anything like this year has been doing podcasts deer season is going to be amazing yep it's going to be an amazing experience and i can't wait to see it we can't wait to share it with you and we can't wait to hear y'all come back and be with us when you can um we don't have any any questions coming in from from users yet this uh not today we just kick that back off but we'll get it on the next one yeah next episode if you hear this one and you think of something that you want to ask us or have us ask a guest make sure you go over to our uh, social media pages shoot us a message on the shooting you straight questions that's a new segment or an old segment that we're bringing back in a new way it's going to be something very fun to do and we're excited for that but we can't thank you enough for your continued support And from everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for being here and being with us through the last 50 to the next 500. Remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.